turn to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. Or, as always, if you'd prefer, you could just take out the inserts in the bulletin. On the first insert, you will see my sermon outline. And on the second insert, you will see all the Proverbs from past, from all the passages from Proverbs that I will be citing. And I've placed them in the order in which I will cite them. Now, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider our final topic together. So, Lord, we come to you now in great gratitude for this weekend and all that it represents. Lord, most importantly, it is Sunday, and that is the day your Son rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell for us, giving us freedom from our sins. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you also for the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of this great country, Lord, and help us to be good stewards of this rich inheritance that you've given us here in America. Lord, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the great resource that it is. And Lord, as we close our series out today, I pray that you would just impress upon our minds the importance of what we have studied together over these months. And Lord, might we return often to this book whenever we need guidance for daily living. Lord, be honored in this time and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our series through Proverbs began 11 months ago. And in my first sermon of the series, I simply explain what a proverb is. I said that a proverb is a short, pithy saying designed to convey truths about life. And I noted that the book of Proverbs contains nearly 1,000 of these sayings. They're stretched over the course of the 31 chapters. And for the past 11 months, we have worked through these sayings together, arranging them into groups according to topic. And so we've covered topics like anger and anxiety Adultery, children, communication, food and drink, friendship, marriage, money, parenting, politics, pride, manhood, womanhood, work, laziness, and more. And as we conclude our series this morning, we have one final topic to consider. We're going to see what the book of Proverbs has to say about God himself. Proverbs has a lot to say about God. Studying these passages together should give us a greater appreciation for the value of the book of Proverbs as a whole. See, the scriptures teach that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means the ultimate author of the book of Proverbs is the God of heaven. And there may be times in life as as we have difficult decisions to make that we might wonder whether the the teachings of Proverbs are best, right? Whether whether they really, really will lead to the best life for us. Well, when those moments of doubt arise, just think back to what this book says about the author of its contents. This book teaches us that the God who gave the material to us is greater than all, and he is wiser than all. His ways are always going to be best. 
In fact, no one is mighty like the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20 say, By his wisdom, he founded the earth. By his understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Proverbs chapter 8 says that through God's wisdom, he dug out the ocean basins, and he rose up the mountains. He stretched out the skies, and he populated the heavens with stars. Proverbs 20 verse 12 says that by God's wisdom, he made the hearing ear and the seeing eye. Proverbs 30 verse 4 says that by his wisdom, he gathers up the wind, he wraps up the waters, and he establishes the ends of the earth. My friends, for uh, the, the scientific revolution has been going on for about 300 years now. And we have just barely even begun to scratch the surface of the mechanisms that make this universe work. You know, just three weeks ago, a pair of astronomers using data from the Sloan Digital Sky Survey discovered an arc of galaxies in the universe stretching 3 billion light-years across. One of the scientists who made this discovery is named Alexia Lopez. She held a news conference at last month's meeting of the American Astronomical Society to explain the significance of this arc. Here's what she said. Quote, If confirmed... This would overturn cosmology as we know it. And she went on. Our standard model, not to put it too heavily, kind of falls through. So cosmology is the study of how the universe came to look the way that it does. Right? What were the the processes leading it to, to be like it is today? And for hundreds of years... The greatest minds in the world have been studying the mechanisms of the universe and trying to make sense of it. And we've got all of our complicated mathematical formulas. And more recently, we've developed our computer models and tried to figure out how did all of this happen. But you know what? None of the math equations or models say that there's going to be a a cluster of galaxies forming an arc that stretches 3 billion light years. The best models say once you get to about a billion light years across, you've reached the limit. So how can this be? Well, as she says, it overturns all of our current models. The best minds in the world, using the best data gleaned from hundreds of years of collective study, And we still don't even have a model to explain why the universe looks the way that it does. At least not on naturalistic principles. And you know, this is just one example from three weeks ago. Every month, it seems, there are scientists in fields, be it chemistry or biology or astronomy or physics, making single discoveries that they say will overturn the entire apparatus We don't have a clue how this universe works. But God is the one who made it all. None of it is a mystery to him. This whole universe in all of its beautiful complexity is a product of his mind. 
time and space and matter and energy, gravity, and all the laws by which these things are governed, and life and consciousness, it all derives from him. By his wisdom, he made it all. By his wisdom, he rules over all. That's right down to the smallest particle. Do you understand that there is not one stray electron floating around in this universe that is autonomous of God? All of it, all of it is under his rule. Not even the human will is beyond God's reach. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. This means that no one can thwart the will of God. He bends human history just as easily as a culvert bends a stream of water. Many, many years ago when the ancient Israelites violated their national covenant with God, he saw fit to raise up a new world empire, the Babylonians. And he used the king of that empire to run his war machine through the promised land and send all of the Israelites into exile. And then, in preparation for the first coming of the Messiah, God determined it was time to bring the people back. Messiah had to be born in the promised land. He had to be born to an Israelite. And so God raised up a new empire, the Persian Empire, and a new king, King Cyrus. And he had Cyrus issue a decree that all of the Israelites should be allowed to return to their homeland. And so off they went, back to the promised land. And then Messiah was born. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And he ministered, and he died, and he rose again, and his own people rejected him. And in judgment for the Israelites' rejection of Messiah, God rose up the Roman Empire and he sent their armies through, sending again the Israelites into exile. God raises empires and he lets them fall at his will to accomplish his purposes. You know, most recently, God moved among the United Nations after World War II to bring Israel back onto the map. Isn't this just an an unheard of thing that a nation should fall and cease to be on the map for 2,000 years and then in 24 hours for it to reappear on the map again? God did that. He created Israel in one calendar day. And all over the world, the Israelites returned to their homeland Surely God is doing this in preparation for the second coming of the Messiah. God does as he wills in this earth. He created all things. He reigns over all things. He accomplishes his own purposes in this world. And God knows all things in his world. Proverbs 5.21 says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Proverbs says that God even knows our thoughts. 15.11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. 
God even knows our motivations, even when we don't know our motives. Proverbs 16.2, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. That means the Lord knows the real reasons for why you do what you do. By the way, this, this exhaustive knowledge of the universe was not was not achieved by God through some sophisticated intelligence-gathering maneuver. No, God knows all things, past, present, and future, in one instantaneous moment of intuition. God knows it all because He decreed it all, and God knows His decree. God's will prevails over all, Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord which will stand. Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no counsel can prevail against the Lord. Proverbs 21.31, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So there is no power greater than God's. Not even the war machine of the United States of America. You know, yesterday I took my family to the Battle Creek Air Show, and they had two F 22 Raptors on display. Okay, these are the most sophisticated fighter jets ever developed. These things are incredible. When they take off, they sound like a rocket engine is going off. I saw this F-22 go straight up like a rocket. I saw it reach a certain altitude and then level out and then hover like a helicopter in the air. And after it hovered for a while, I saw it twist itself like this. Can you imagine engaging in a dogfight with that kind of a fighter jet? You don't have a chance. In fact, most enemy planes would be shot out of the sky before they even knew the F-22 was in the air. I was very grateful to be an American when I watched that plane going across the sky, to know that there are hundreds and hundreds of planes like that one in the air at all times looking out for dangers. There is no earthly power that can take on the United States military. But you know, compared to God... Our best ammunition is like little sparklers. You know, we have nearly 6,000 nuclear weapons in our arsenal here in America. You know, we dropped two nuclear weapons on Japan at the end of World War II, one on Hiroshima, one on Nagasaki. The nuclear weapons that we have today make those nuclear weapons look like firecrackers. It's incredible the destructive power that is at our disposal. If we were to launch our entire nuclear arsenal, we would literally destroy the earth. The whole planet would be covered in a nuclear winter. All life on earth, except maybe the cockroaches, would die. They couldn't survive the radiation poisoning. We can destroy our own planet. But this power is nothing to God. It's nothing. 
This earth is a little moat of dust that is floating around a universe that is more vast than we can possibly comprehend. It takes light more than three years just to reach from here to the nearest star. And there are, there are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. And there is at least a trillion galaxies in our universe. We can't comprehend how big it is. The collective power of the nuclear reactions taking place in the stars in those trillions of galaxies. And it all came from the mind of God. He conceived all of this and he spoke and it came into being. And one day God will speak again and remake the physical universe. No one, no one can thwart the will of God. And so all things are utterly dependent upon God. Proverbs 30 verse 8 contains a prayer to God. Listen to what it says. Remove me far from falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Think about that prayer. I mean, we, we work and toil and we plant our crops or we manufacture our goods. We save our money and, and spin all of our plans to try to make ourselves secure. But in the end, we realize that we are completely at the mercy of forces beyond our control. If there's anything that 2020 taught us, it's that... A life that looks really secure can be ripped out from under us in a heartbeat. All of it taken away at once. And so we have this prayer. God, I've done my work, but you are the one who will determine the outcome of my life. So God, please provide me with food. Provide me with drink. Watch over me. We are all dependent upon God. Friends, the worldview held up to us here in Proverbs runs exactly contrary to the prevailing worldview of our age. The great minds of the Western world believe that this physical universe is ultimate reality. That's what they believe. And they believe that if there is an unseen realm, it is completely detached from the universe. The world does its thing the spirit realm does its thing. Never the twain shall meet. But friends, the truth is just the opposite. God is ultimate reality, not this universe. And the human will is not the ultimate power. It is the divine will. God is bigger than the universe. He came before it. It was brought into being by his power. His spirit is diffused throughout it. And it is utterly dependent on his will for its continued existence. Do you realize that if God were to withdraw himself from this universe for one nanosecond, this universe would dissolve and then cease to exist? This is the greatness of God. Friends, he isn't just great. The Bible also says that he is good. In fact, no one is holy like the Lord. Holiness defines God's very being. God is separate from and above the world of sinful men. He's a white light of moral perfection. 
And any time that a sinful human being has had the opportunity to encounter God, their first reaction is to collapse before him and say, I am undone. Just consider the experience of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God from the Old Testament times. And by all accounts, Isaiah was a really holy man. But look what happened when he encountered God. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And now my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There is no one as holy as the Lord. He's a God of truth. Proverbs 16, 11 says, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. And he's a God of righteousness. Proverbs 15, 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. And he's a God of justice. Proverbs 29, 26, From the Lord a man gets justice. God is goodness personified. See, truth, righteousness, and justice, these are not man-made concepts. They are not subject to cultural revision. No, these are absolute truths rooted in the very being of God. We can say something is true when it accords with the understanding of God. We can say that it's righteous if it accords with the character of God. And we can say an action was just if it accords with the judgments of God. Just as the laws of nature are immutable, so are God's moral laws, because God himself is immutable, and all things have emanated from him. And friends, as a moral God, he opposes evil with every fiber of his being. Friend, do not put God to the test. He will have his way on good and evil. Proverbs 6, verses 17 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates, yea, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God is opposed to all evil with all of his being. And God has committed himself to the final destruction of all evil. Proverbs 2.22, the wicked will be cut off. 21.12, he throws the wicked down to ruin. 24, verses 21 and 22, fear the Lord and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come? Friends, this is the God of heaven. There is no one like him. There is no one as mighty as the Lord. 
There is no one as holy as the Lord. Thankfully and mercifully, there is also no one who is gracious like the Lord. This is such good news for all of us. Because you see, the awful truth of the matter is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means that every one of us in our state of nature is under that hostility of God. We are under His righteous judgments. We are separated from God because of sin. But the great news about God is that though He is almighty and though He is all holy, He is also gracious. And this God delights to reconcile with sinners. He delights to become their God, to see them become His people. In fact, the grand story of the Bible and of human history is the story of God creating a special people for Himself, a people who have been redeemed through the atoning work of His Son and brought into relationship with Him. That's the story of the world. God delights to be the hero of the people He has redeemed. He delights to protect His people, Proverbs 2.8, to uphold them, Proverbs 3.32, to bless them, Proverbs 3.33, to give them His grace, Proverbs 3.34. He delights to give them life, Proverbs 9.11, to never let them go hungry, Proverbs 10.3, to be a refuge for them in times of trouble, Proverbs 10.29. He delights to direct their steps, Proverbs 14.9, to forgive their sins, Proverbs 16.6, to give them peace within and without, Proverbs 16.7, to deliver them from trouble, Proverbs 20, 22. And then after the journey of life is over, he delights to bring them into his presence in glory. Proverbs 3, 35. No one is as mighty as the Lord. No one is as holy as the Lord. And no one is as gracious as the Lord. To, to, take, to take us, we, we who, who inhabit this little mode of dust called the earth, and to reach down to us, and even though we have, have rejected him in every conceivable way, for him to still say, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And I will do whatever is necessary for that to happen. And to have a God who would willingly send his own son onto this little mode of dust to live like one of us to merit the perfect righteousness that none of us could achieve, and then to die a death in atonement for our sin, to rise Him up again and promise us union with Him upon repentance and faith. There is no God like this one. Friends, how should we respond to a God like this? Well, what we should do, according to Proverbs, simply to fear Him. We should fear Him. That's been the whole message of this book. Here is God. Here is his wisdom for your life. Now fear this God. What that means in the Bible is that you hold him up in reverence and love and awe. He he becomes the, the central object of your devotion You take all of your direction in life from him and his teachings. You repudiate 
that former life lived without him, you reject all sin, you reject everything except what God has become for you through Christ. That's what it is to fear God in the Bible. We should fear him. We should embrace all that he wants to be for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And after we've taken the first step of faith, what we need to do is begin learning his ways. The book of Proverbs contains a thousand teachings from God for us to show us how to live in a way that would be pleasing to him and good for us. Let's take this book now and make it a part of us. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs 9.10. Do you want to know how to navigate through this complicated world with all of its problems? Well, then go back to this book and study it. This is the wisdom of God. Fearing God is also the beginning of personal righteousness. That's in Proverbs 16.6. God will teach you through this book how to live as you were created to live. Have you received this God yet in faith and repentance? Has he become, as it were, the, the, the sun in your solar system, the, very, the center and, and the, the, the thing whose pull keeps all other pieces of your life in proper orbit? Is he, is he the center of your life in faith? Have you begun listening to his teachings and rejecting your own way of thinking? Or the thinking of that in the prevailing culture. You know, some people have a habit of reading through one chapter of Proverbs every day each month. They're usually 31 months or 31 days in a month. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So some people will take one chapter every day for a month. And every month, do it over again. Get the wisdom of God ingrained into their mind. Other people think it's a good idea to just take some of the, the really key texts of the book and to commit those to memory so that they have them often to go back to. Well, however you choose to approach this book in the years ahead, make it a part of your life. This is from the God of heaven. There's no one like him. There's no better way to live than the way that he has prescribed in fact, I will leave you with this final proverb found in chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray together. Lord, we've considered the contents of this great book for nearly a year. Lord, please help us to remember what we have learned and help us to put it into practice. And Lord, on those occasions when we are faced with a very difficult choice and there, there is... The choice that our heart wants to make, but then there's the choice that your word says we must make instead. Lord, help us to not lean on our own understanding, but to trust your ways so that we might find that it really was best. 
Lord, help us to understand that there is no one like you. Therefore, no one should have our devotion like you do. No one should have our commitment as you have it. Lord, help us to become a wise people. The world is getting more complicated every day. We need wisdom more than ever. So, Lord, make us wise, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.